if you would stand, we'll read the text for our study this morning, please. This is the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Jesus, then he entered and he passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not. He couldn't see because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. And so he ran ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And we'll look at what happened with that encounter, but let's pray and ask God to speak to us from the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that, Lord, you have such a heart for us, and we want to know, Lord, your heart. We want to see ourselves as you see us, see everybody through your eyes. We ask for your spirit to work this in us to your glory and our greater joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, you may be seated, please. And so then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. So it was on the road to Jericho that we saw last time, which was three weeks ago, if you were here, that Jesus gave sight to a blind beggar. Remember his name? Bartimaeus. So he passes now, he enters and he passes through this town of Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. So here's a different guy who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. So not only a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was really good at what he did. Now remember this time, at this time in the history, the first century Jewish world, Rome had marched in and annexed Israel. They were occupying the land that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to the people of Israel. And they were heavily taxing the people. They were forcing the Jews to pay taxes to Rome and to collect those taxes. Okay, we're looking at a tax collector. Okay, now this is a lot different than, because we have some tax collectors in the church here that work for the IRS. I don't mean to make you nervous. <laughs> you know, it's coming up. But this was nothing like our, our IRS agents today, okay? To collect these taxes, the Romans would employ tax collectors from among the Jewish people. They would find Jewish people that w their job was to extract the, the, you know, these fees and, the, and these taxes from their fellow Jews. Needless to say, these tax collectors were despised in Israel, held to be traitors, and they were a real mafia, okay? The Romans understood that for anyone to even want this job, there had to be some type of a lucrative incentive. And so, they would set the amount that Rome wanted, and then they allowed the collector to collect above that amount to line their own pockets, and they gave the collector the authority or the force of the Roman army 
This is where the mafia thing comes in. It was kind of arbitrary how much they could collect. And so they were seen in Israel as the scum of the earth. They were the most hated people. So when Jesus, you know, continually it talks about how he was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. It was like the worst of the worst of these people. You know, when the Jews, when a Jewish man would enter the custom service of Rome, he was regarded as an outcast. He was disqualified from being a judge. He was excommunicated from the synagogue. He, he wasn't, they weren't allowed or weren't accepted in the houses of worship. And again, Zacchaeus, who we're introduced to and we're going to look at this morning, he was not only a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. He was a mafia kingpin, if you would. And he made huge money at his enterprise. You know, his tools would have been fear, intimidation, threats. You know, you got the army behind you and nobody knew exactly how much they would seek to chisel out of you. But notice in verse three, this man, however he got into this industry, however long he'd been in this dark kind of underworld enterprise, he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't see him because the crowd, for he was short of stature. So here's another man who was wanting to see Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus, of course, he couldn't see him because he couldn't see. He didn't have sight. Here, Zacchaeus can't see because he's so short. He couldn't see over the crowd. And realize at this time, the fame of Jesus has spread all over Israel by this time. And word is out that the works that the prophets had said would be happening through the Messiah, they were all happening through this Jesus. Zacchaeus, like everybody, had no doubt heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. I believe he had heard that unlike the religious leaders of the day, he had heard that Jesus was giving outcasts the time of day, that he was treating all people with a dignity. You know, that's why I believe Zacchaeus is so interested in seeing Jesus. He's a total outcast. He's been marginalized. He's hated by the town of, his whole town of Jericho. We don't know how he ended up in this mafia-like profession. But you know, many times people end up doing stuff out of a desperation that sometimes I know I don't understand. You know, we had, when we were in Budapest in the church there, we had a guy who was, he was actually the cook for the prime minister and this, this man, Fetty and his wife, Tundi, right? Typical English names, Fetty and Tundi. But uh, Fetty had a cooking show on TV. He, was the, he had a restaurant right across the street from the church. He ended up coming to the church, and he's one of the most generous people I've ever met. But he started an outreach. There was about 10 guys and 10 gals that would go out and reach out to the prostitutes in Budapest. They would set up linen tablecloths, silver platters, and they would treat, because they, they saw these women, 
through the eyes of Jesus, and they would treat them like royalty. In, in a typical Sunday in our church, you'd see a pimp with a couple of his girls there, and these, some of these girls giving their lives to the Lord, and we helped them get out of that world. But the stories of what happened to them as kids, you know, the molestations and being raped by family members and things, and, you know, we don't know. We don't know many times what kind of path, what kind of trauma, what kind of tragedies, what kind of desperation some people live in just to survive. You know, and I know I need to be careful because I've done this before. I've put people into boxes and slapped labels on them before. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does not put people into little boxes and slap labels on them. Apparently, Zacchaeus has heard how Jesus sees hope in those who have been labeled as hopeless. And so he's seeking here. He wants to see Jesus so bad, but he couldn't because of the crowd, because he was so short. Now, this doesn't mean he was five foot something. The average male in the first century there in Israel was about five foot five. This means this guy was five, four foot something, okay? And he's trying to see Jesus, but he's like, everybody's towering over him and he can't. He's a very little man with a very big drive in him, we're going to see here. And by that drive, he's become rich. You know, we see him here driven to get a view of Jesus can't see, but he's going to find a way. He's a physically short man, but he has this huge type A personality. Unable to see Jesus in the crowd. Notice verse 4. He says he ran and he climbed up into a sycamore tree. So he's running and climbing (laughs) into a tree because he knew that Jesus would pass right by that way. And so his desire to see Jesus Interesting. It outweighed any attempt to maintain any sense of dignity. You know? Remember, as a mafioso tax collector, his image of power and the intimidation factor was so vital to what he does. But to climb up into a tree, to run and climb into a tree, he's in childlike mode here. Okay? This is a very childlike thing to do, is to climb a tree. You know, as a, I remember as a kid, one of my most vis- vivid memories was the trees we climbed. You know, trees existed not to convert CO2 into oxygen, but to climb. That's why trees existed, you know, to a little kid. And some of you guys can relate. One time I fell out of the tree in front of our house in Thousand Oaks in my head hit the trunk or the, the hood of my dad's car and left a huge dent in it. And I, my, my head is literally still ringing. I have ringing in my head ever since. Zacchaeus is doing a very childlike thing here. Without realizing it, this, this very intimidating mafia-type guy is fulfilling what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, that unless you change, and he said this to his disciples, but he also said this in the audience of the Pharisees, that unless you change and become like little children, you will not be able to see 
the kingdom of heaven. Okay? It's interesting that Zacchaeus is becoming like a little child. And this isn't childish. We're called to get, grow up. You know, childish in Scripture is selfishness. Grow up is love, which means you're thinking about other people now. But we, Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, childlike, you won't be able to see or enter the kingdom. Well, Zacchaeus has become childlike here without realizing it. And Jesus came to the place. He came to the spot where the tree... But imagine, there's this huge crowd that's moving through the city of Jericho. And here's another man who stops Jesus in his tracks. Bartimaeus cried out, Have mercy upon me, son of David. And the whole crowd stopped. Here, another man has stopped Jesus by becoming like a child and climbing a tree. Jesus stops him, he looks up. You know, and I, 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 I'm a, I would bet, I would bet a hundred bucks that Jesus looked up and he cracked up. He had a huge smile on his face. He's looking up there and he knows who this guy is. And he said to him, he's with a huge smile, he called his name. He said, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. I see here that Jesus knows people by name. He knows people. He knows you by name this morning. He knows your name. He sees you. And good news, his eyes are brimming full of mercy towards you. We're going to look at this in a minute, but he sees past all of the, the failures that you're so plagued with consciously all the time. He sees past all of that. When he looks at you, he's excited about you. His eyes are filled with hope for you. This is the look that I'm sure Jesus looked up and he saw this man. You know, we, we, when we judge folks and we put them in our boxes and we slap our labels, those labels don't include the person's name. They include many times things like, what an idiot, or look at this scumbag, or this guy's a hopeless case, you know? God doesn't have you. He doesn't have me in a box that's labeled hopeless. To him, to God, there is no hopeless case. He doesn't, you're not written off as hopeless to God. So Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name and he says, get down quick, man, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm hanging out with you today. This is how Jesus rolls. This is how he rolls. He comes into town and he singles out the most judged, most hated, most despised person in all of the town. And with so much love, he says, get down out of that tree quickly because I'm hanging out with you all day. This is Jesus, okay? Who are you listening today, whether here in the house or online? Where have you been? What have you been doing? What boxes, perhaps, have you been stuffed into? What labels, perhaps, have been slapped upon you? Let me say this to you this morning. God knows you by name. Not by that name, that pejorative name that's been slapped and labeled you. God knows your name. He knows who you are. Okay? He sees beyond how others may see you, and how you might even have pigeonholed yourself. And it's when you see, when I see what God sees, 
when he looks at us, this is when your life will begin. Let me repeat that. It's when you see what he sees when he looks at you, that's when your life will begin. You know, when Andrew, the disciple Andrew, he was one of the 12, when he first brought his brother to the Lord, he brought his brother Peter to the Lord, we're told in John chapter 1, verse 41, Andrew came to Peter and said, man, we found the Messiah. We found him, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, okay, now this word in the Greek, it's, it's, ama- it's a really cool word, emblipo. It means when Jesus looked into him, Jesus doesn't just see you on the outside. He looks into you. Okay, he, this is that gaze that, you know, no doubt had Peter transfixed. Jesus looked into Peter and he said to him, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Peter, which is translated a rock. Okay? Normally when I meet somebody, I reach out my hand and say, hi, my name's Greg. And they reach out and say, hi, my name's Manny. And I say, hey, man, you want to get a burrito next week or whatever? You know? When Jesus met Peter, he reached out and said, you are Simon, the son of Jonas. You will be called Peter, which means the rock. Okay, this is how Jesus sees people. He says, I know who you are. Peter, I know who you are better than you know. And Jesus knew all the failures that Peter would go on to commit. And he committed failure after failure after failure that we see recorded in the Gospels. I know who you are. I know where you've come from. We all come from our mother and father, right? You've come from, I know who your dad is. I know where you've come from. And this is what you are going to be. You're going to, I see more, I see what you're going to be. I don't just see the failures and the potential you have to mess things up. I understand where you've come from, and I know what I'm making you. This is exciting how Jesus sees people, okay? This is, Jesus is looking up at Zacchaeus, and he sees something that nobody else in Jericho sees, Everybody else can't stand this guy. They've put him in the box. They've slapped the label. They've ostracized him. And Jesus is excited as he looks at this guy. And it's amazing. And so notice Zacchaeus' response. He made haste. He came down. In other words, he got down quickly. Listen. And he received Jesus joyfully. He knew that Jesus had already received him. He could see it in Jesus' eyes. He could hear it in his tone. He could hear it in the invitation. You're gonna, we're going to spend the afternoon together. He jumped out of the tree, and he received Jesus joyfully. We love, the scripture says, 1 John 4, 19, we love God because he first loved us. Okay, Jesus invited himself to spend the afternoon a meal, as we'll see, with this hated outcast, Zacchaeus. This is how Jesus rolls. How does that fit right now with where I'm at, with my religion? 
It stretches me is what it does. It challenges me. The early church was despised for its acceptance of outcasts. Read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. But the early Christians considered this a badge of honor, not something of shame. You know, the Calvary Chapel movement, this church was born out of this movement. I don't know if you guys saw the Jesus Revolution movie, this whole Jesus movement that happened in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. There's sources outside of Calvary Chapel from Wheaton College and Westmont and Santa Barbara College that say it's the biggest Christian movement in American history. Some 30 million people that are in different churches now trace their spiritual roots back to that movement of God, a real historic movement of God that started as a woman named Kay Smith began to see a generation of hippies the way that Jesus sees them, and she began to weep over these kids. These kids that had been put into a box and labeled by society as hopeless, as disgusting. Even Chuck Smith, Pastor Chuck Smith, by his own telling, he stood and said, I don't see what you see, my dear Kay. These kids are disgusting. They need to get a bath and get a job. And Kay prayed and said, God, show my husband. And when Chuck began to see what his wife could already see, he opened his heart, he opened his arms, he opened his house, he opened the church, and history was made. Hundreds of thousands of waste-case kids, their lives were completely changed and turned around, impacted for eternity. Zacchaeus happily, joyfully, jumped out of the tree and received Jesus. He didn't primarily receive a creed. He didn't jump down and receive a set of doctrines, though creeds and doctrines are important that we get doctrines right. He jumped down out of the tree and he joyfully received the person of God incarnate, Jesus the Christ. Jesus is joyful to receive sinners, and they are joyful to be saved when they see the love of Christ and the hope that there is for them in him. As we see the love of Christ and the hope there is for them in our eyes, this is when God begins to use us. Who is the person, maybe you're sitting here, maybe week after week, and you're you hear stories of the Jesus movement or missionaries that go out or things that people that God, what, you, what we need to do is pray, God, just show me people through your eyes. If you have that, you will be used of God to impact every person you encounter if, you, if we're seeing people through his eyes. But notice the people here in the crowd. There's all sorts of people here from Jericho. There, there's a big you know, buzz around Jesus, a huge entourage. There's Pharisees in the crowd. There's priests. Jericho was a Levitical town. The Levites were the, were the priestly tribe. There were Jesus' own disciples. And notice the reaction as they watched Jesus receive the most despised guy in town. And he jumps out of the tree and he joyfully receives Jesus. Notice the response. When they saw it, they all complained. Everybody started complaining, saying, 
He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. What is he doing? What is he doing? Everybody is thinking and speaking out loud. Jesus, you've gone too far in this. You know what? Jesus keeps going too far for me. <laughs> I, I hear of God working in a certain person's life, and I'm like, my heart's all closed off and hard, and the Lord's like, going, does this disturb you that I'm doing something beyond your, your capacity, Greg? And I'm like, God, help me. I'm a Pharisee, God. I'm a little man. I'm just a little man. I want you to enlarge my heart, Lord. They all protested. You know, as I was studying this, I was reminded of a song, one of my favorite songwriters who's gone to be with the Lord, Rich Mullins. He wrote a song, and the lyrics go like this. There's a wideness. There's a wideness in God's mercy that I can't find in my own. And he keeps this, his fire burning to melt this heart of stone. He keeps me aching with a longing, keeps me glad to have been caught in this reckless raging fury that they call the love of God. The Zacchaeus, notice verse eight, he stood, it says. So this is sometime later, the fact that he stood up, it probably means that they had been lounging, eating all day with Jesus. And so finally Zacchaeus, after spending all this time in the presence of Jesus Christ, he stands up and he says to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to give them four times what I, what I extorted people. Okay? Spending the afternoon with Jesus, Zacchaeus' heart and his mind have been changed. He's been touched. Okay? In the presence of beauty, and Jesus is beautiful. He's the beautiful one, okay? In the presence of beauty, I see my ugly. I become conscious of my ugly, and I want to change. In the presence of beauty, I see my ugly. What was okay before? What was okay before I encountered beauty? It's no longer okay. To me, it's not okay. And I've seen this in people. I've seen someone showing kindness to a certain person. And I'm like, ah, oh, Lord, I want to be that. In the presence of something beautiful, I become aware of my ugly and I have to change. This is what's happening to Zacchaeus. He's been hanging out with Jesus and he, all of a sudden he stands up from the table. They would lounge on the ground on these pillows. He just stood up and he's like, Lord, I've lived extorting and, and intimidating people and chiseling money out of them through, through fear and all. I'm, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor and I'm going to go find every person that I treated like that and I'm going to restore four times what I took from them. This Jesus changes lives, not religion. Jesus changes lives, not religion. Lives are changed not by beating folks on the head or putting a religious trip on them, but by them seeing Jesus, 
seeing how he sees them. That's what changed my life. It's the goodness of God. It says in Romans 2.4, it's the goodness and kindness of God that brings us to repentance, to a change of mind. You see, and it's only when our minds have been changed that we have an authentic change of behavior. You know, if I see you as just another person sucking up precious oxygen, you know, clogging up the freeway, I'm always going to be annoyed at you. Okay, and some pastor could get up and hit me on the head with his Bible and tell me you need to start loving people. But if I see you as, as I used to see people, as an accident of evolution, as you're in this race with me in the survival of the fittest, if I see you that way, you're, I'm never going to be able to love you genuinely, authentically. But if I begin to see you as God says that you are, created in the image of God, so worth unfathomable value to God that he gave his son for you, if that's how I see you, no one has to tell me how to treat you. Wow, I'm in the presence of treasure right now. And I get excited around treasure, <laughs> around valuable things. You know, no one has to tell me. No one has to beat me on the head. He's been hanging out with Jesus all day and he stands up. No one told him. No one put the law on him. What love can do, what grace can do, what the presence of Christ can do, it's far beyond what legal, some legalistic trip could ever produce in a person's life. You know, this is what was compelling to me in high school. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. We never had one conversation about God in our house. There was no Bible. There was, it was just, we were humanistic, evolutionary thinking, you know, we didn't really even think about it. Just lived and surfed and, you know, got ready for college and scheming how we're gonna make money. And God began to show me himself. You know, I saw the beauty of Christ in a lady named Alice Mosley. She was this lady that taught the Bible across the street from my high school. There's a Bible study over there, and there was there's these kids in my high school. There was a group on my high school campus called Warriors for Christ. You know, it was Fallbrook Union High School, and the, the mascot was a warrior. You know, so it was Warriors for Christ, right? Yesterday I spoke, day before yesterday, Friday, to the, to the Jesus at Citrus group at Citrus Valley High School here. And I told these kids, I said, it, it was a group of kids like you on my high school campus that first got me thinking about Jesus. You know, I remember this guy, Kenny Walker, was in Warriors for Christ. He was the smartest guy in the school. Like, the guy was this total brainiac dude that just was mind-blowing. IQ of 160 or whatever he had. And, and, and these kids would come up to me and witness to me at lunch. You know, in my campus, the, the, the guys that were into cars stood in one spot, you know. We called them the grease monkeys, you know, with their wrenches. And the water polo team, they all stood in one spot. And the surfers were in another spot. And, you know, and these kids would come. These warriors for Christ would come. And I would actually mock them. This is how 
just, I, I, I was a cruel person. <laughs> you know, I'd mock them. And what blew my mind is they kept coming back. And I would look into their eyes and they weren't offended. They weren't angry. You know, and I started seeing in them a love that, I, that made me so curious. I'm like, why, why are you looking at me like that? And they looked at me, they were looking at me through the lens of the love of Jesus Christ. And it, it got me so curious. I told them, you know what, I'll, I'll check out your Bible study. And I went into that Bible study and I felt the presence of God. And I knew the first time I walked in, there was 100 kids from my high school in Brian Bishop's house, right across the street from Fallbrook High School. They're packed out this place. And I saw a guy that I played water polo with. Clay Loomis was there. You know, Brian Bishop, who used to be a, the total stoner, like just a pothead. He was there just worshiping the Lord. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't know there were this many Christians in the whole world. This is where I was coming from. I'm like, what is this? And you could feel the tangible presence of God in this place. I knew the minute I walked in, these people have God. You know, they were all trying to close the deal with me and I would use some very colorful language and tell them I need some time. I got a, I got a million questions in my head. But just don't try to sell me right now. And I eventually came to the Lord, but it was later. It was in my first year of college. But it wasn't primarily their words. It wasn't their words. It was Christ in these people. It was this hope in their eyes for me. I could see hope in them for me. And I had to know why they were looking at me like that. Well, what happened to Zacchaeus here was not by some guilt-tripping trip, preacher. It was by the love of God, the presence of Christ impacting him. He cheerfully offered to do even more than the law required. And Jesus said, look at verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come because he also is a son of Abraham. Why did he say that? Why did Jesus throw that in? We'll talk about that in a minute. For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, a messianic title that the prophet Daniel said, this would be a title of the Messiah, the Son of Man. Jesus, speaking in the third person of himself, says the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Since Zacchaeus was so hated by his fellow Jews, they had probably been saying, this dude is not even a, we don't even consider him a Jew. We don't even, we don't even, give him the dignity of calling him a son of Abraham. They had no doubt put him in their box and slapped on it the label, hopeless scum. What Jesus does here by saying, this day salvation has come to this house. By saying, because he also, he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus is ripping off the label they've put on him and said, no, he is by genetics, a son of Abraham, and now by faith, he is a son of Abraham. You see what Jesus is doing? He's putting on his label about this man. And did you know that if you're a believer here today in Jesus Christ, you also are a son, you're a daughter of Abraham by faith? It says in the book of Galatians. Did you walk in here thinking that this morning? What were you thinking? 
I was thinking that I'm a stupid piece of something, but no, that God's ripping that label off of you. You are so, we are sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. We are joint heirs of God and Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. He is with us and will never leave us. He's working in our lives. We're his kids. We're saints. And he has done all this. <laughs> this is who we are. You see? So Jesus rips that label. Now Jericho, as I mentioned, it was a Levitical city. It was a city of priests. The, the, the Levites were the priestly tribe. And they had probably many times condemned this guy, knowing how he made his millions of shekels. And they, they no doubt had pressured him to give to the poor and to, to, to no avail. You know, but here, meeting Jesus, spending an afternoon with Jesus, no one needed to guilt trip him into anything. He joyfully gave whatever God showed him to give. This is the power of just an encounter with Jesus Christ. The lo love for Jesus motivates folks to far greater things than legalism, guilt trips, manipulation does. And every pastor that hears the sound of my voice should write that down and look at that. There is no pressure on you. Jesus calls you to spend time with him and his beauty will change your life and beauty will start happening through you. And don't let anyone put a trip on you. That's what Paul basically says in Galatians. Don't let anyone put a trip on you. You just eat and drink with Jesus every day and watch what happens in and through your life. The Son of Man, and we'll end with this, Jesus adds in there, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. They said, Jesus, you have gone too far in inviting this guy to eat with you and drink with you all day. Jesus says, no, this is my mission. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is how Jesus rolls. This is what he is about. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, for just the power of who you are. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Fill us, Lord, with your love. We pray, God, that you would enlighten our eyes by your spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we might see the one person that's in front of us at any moment of the day, we might see them through your eyes. Lord, as the, all the labels start flashing through our mind, that you would rip those off and show us what you see. Show us what you see when you see people. We ask that you would do this, Lord, for your glory, which is always to our greater joy. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name.